following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. So that last phrase, I don't know if you caught it, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I, we, this, I have to tell you, you know, of course, um, I'm a second career pastor, for those of you who don't know, which means I've only been a pastor for about almost four years now. And so, and so uh, in, in our family, we, you know, my kids are sort of hybrids. They're not truly pastor's kids because they didn't used to be, and now they are. So people say, are you PKs? And they're like, we don't know. You know, what do you do with that? But one thing that is true that is evidence that they might be coming PKs is that we have this phrase around our house, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think you, you can sort of start to see how that might be happening. This needs to be done or there will be. But what's ironic is most of the time lately it applies to me. Um, they'll be like, hey, Dad, you need to take care of that or there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so, and so that phrase is one of those that we see that that Jesus used. And of course, it's kind of a colloquialism both then and now because when we think of that, we have this image in our mind of, you know, people left out in the cold and upset and grouchy and sad and angry. And, and um, sometimes it actually looks like the way our world actually is right now. Think about our world. There's a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, you, you know, it's, have you ever noticed that if you look, if you sort of open up the world, you know, however you access it via the Internet, via TV or both, and, and, and you, you look out and you see a lot of weeping. There's a lot of people sad. And this time of year, that can really happen, right? Because this time of year has so much emotion. It's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, right? That's what it's supposed to be. And for some of us, it is. And so for some of the kids, they're like, yes. And, but the older you get, I found that m- the older most people are, they're like, yeah, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I mean, it's kind of one of those deals. You know, but then there's the other side. It's the gnashing of teeth, right? That's the other thing you see, especially on cable network news, right? That's where those really happen. Everybody's mad at each other, and they're all, you know. And, and that's, it's kind of like, well, we already have it, right? We already have weeping and gnashing of teeth. And yet, we come into this place, and we start talking about things like peace and hope and joy and love, and you're like, how does it all work, right? And this is what we're talking about with, we say, while we wait. Because the reality is, Jesus was born just shy of 2,000 years ago. I haven't run the math lately. It was like 1,986 years ago, or 87 years ago. Um, if you figure somewhere in there, that's when he died and rose again. But it was actually about 30 years before that when he was born. And so we don't really know exactly. We think maybe 6 B.C. Yeah, you're like, wait a minute. How could he been born in the B.C. years? Well, Pope Gregory had some glitches on his calendar, kind of like you know we have today with glitches on our phones and on our devices. Uh, he had glitches on his calendar, but all that time, he was born, and then he, he went to be with the Father, and then he sent his Spirit to dwell in us, and now what? Right? I mean, we're really good at telling the story of the nativity, right? You, know, you, got, you got the shepherds come, and then the kingmen, the, king, the three kings who are actually magi, which is a long story, but they come, they're the wise men. And, there's, and it's funny because in the story they come like two years later, but in the nativity it's like two minutes later. And so that's all cool. That's great. That's fine. Let's have fun with that. But it's like, then what? Right? What do we do while we wait? I want to take a look at a couple of scriptures. We're going to put them up on screen and zoom in on things. Um, You've got to know this. And that is, like for the folks here at Praise and Worship, 
this, this sermon today, this message today, is literally an outline of everything we're going to study in the year 2019. We're going to study all these words together. And the first one is this who he is and who you are. We must never forget who that is. Because look at, Jesus says, again, this is verse 14, it will be like a man who is going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. This is a fascinating metaphor that Jesus has used for me and for you. And, and I hope that you can immediately start to see some correlations to what he calls the kingdom of God, right? The reign, the active reign of God Almighty on this earth, right? Because we said a minute ago, there's a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And may I just say to you, Jesus has a little something to say about that. He has something to offer for that. He is in the reconciliation business we read from Romans chapter 5. This is what he's all about, to give us reconciliation. And look at this. It says there will be, a, it's just like a man who's going on a journey. So he, who is the man going on a journey? This is Jesus, right? He's going to go on a journey. And you're like, can't you just stay here? That's what the disciples said to him. Let's, let's stay for a while, right? He's like, no, I got to go. We got a mission to do. And he said, then all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me and now I'm telling you what to do with it. And you're like, wait, can you just rewind a little bit? Can you just stay here and you do the mission? We'll like bring you donuts and coffee or something. We'll work it out that way. It's like, no, 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 you guys, you go make disciples of all nations. You go help those who are in hurt. You go be with the people who are weeping. You go to the people who are gnashing their teeth and you love them. This is what he said. And you're like, but, but, and then look what he says. He called his servants and he entrusted his property to them. There have been people who will preach on this particular parable, and they'll make it about a get, you know, how to get rich and be prosperous in the kingdom of God. Please don't ever listen to that stuff. Um, this is about, <laughs> he, what is Jesus' property? What, what, is, what are his prized possessions? Because it ain't money. He owns the universe. If there's anyone, everyone, anyone who doesn't need money, it's Jesus. And yeah, we need money because we don't own the universe. But at the same time, he'll take care of that. That's not the issue. The issue is what about the weeping and the gnashing of teeth? The issue is what about the people in your life and in my life that we're going to be hopefully spending some time with during the next few days? Or maybe we'll be upset because we don't get to. What about them, right? And he, Jesus has entrusted his property to them. This is, this is called the hearts and minds of the people of this earth. Take a look at verse 15. What do we do while we wait? To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, he gave two talents of money. And to another, one talent. And each according to his ability, then he went on his journey. So, if, if who he is is the master, the giver of all good things, the savior, the one who died for us when we had nothing to offer him, and we are... His children, co-heirs with Christ, Romans chapter 8 says. It's in the Dig Deepers. That's my shameless plug. You'll, read the, you'll do the Dig Deepers this week, won't you? Anyway, so, so you, you, read about, you read about Romans chapter 8, and it says we are adopted into his family, and we are co-heirs with Christ, and to us then he gave something to us. Now in the parable, in the story, it's money, because we can all track with that. I mean, if you're just sitting there and somebody just, dropped a cool 100K and slid it across the table to you. Say, hey, I'm going on a journey, 100K. Take care of that. Take care of that for me. You'd be like, 
okay, do I get a commission? I mean, how does this work? You know, you just start to, you know, your eyes would light up, you get excited, you'd be starting to thinking about all those bills you could pay off, and then you start thinking about cars painted red, and you start thinking about, you know, all these types of things, and you get pretty fired up, right? I wonder how this is going to work, you know, how's this going to, and, and you, so you start, you hear, the, you hear the analogy, but look at that, look at those yellow words, it says, each according to his ability. See, so I'm, I'm looking out across here and I'm seeing some financial planners and people who are really good with numbers and I am not, never entrust your money to me, trust me. And so, and so you, you, because you, I'll just do math and it'll always be in my favor and it'll be a mess. And so what we do here is he's saying each according to his ability. So some of us are good at some kinds of things and some of us are good at other kinds of things. And some of us are good at yet other kinds of things. And I, ask, I want you to ask yourself, in terms of the things that matter most, what is in your wheelhouse? I want you to th- just ponder this for a minute. You know, what is the thing that like gets you out of bed in the morning and you're excited about? If somebody brings it up, your eyebrows go up, your blood pressure just kicks it up a notch. Maybe it's a particular kind of talent that you have. Now we're talking about actually, you know, God-given talent in the sense that we would use it normally. And, and maybe it's a particular vocational task that you do. You're like, dude, I, I mean, maybe my job's not important, but when I'm doing it, I'm, nobody can do it as good as me. Maybe it's, maybe it's the way you can help people. Like you're talking to them, and you can just help them settle down when they're upset. Maybe your talent is you can build things. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you fix things. Each one of us has that talent. You know, um, I, I knew this guy. His, his, his name was Mikey, and Mikey could sell ice to an Eskimo. I mean, if you'll allow that language. And you'd be thinking, well, is that a really good vocation? Is that what God? Yes. Because we need people to sell us stuff. Now, maybe if we, maybe Mikey needed to sell us what we actually need, right? But he was good at it, right? He could help you do it. And all these different people in all of the world, we all have our talents. And see, this is the thing, each according to his own ability. How do you think and why do you think the word talent meant that back then and it means something different now? Do you see what happened to the word even? What is your talent? You see, you see how this happened over the hundreds of years as it came into the English language. What is your talent? And this is, this is exactly where it, what it, each according to his ability. This is, not, um, this is not about, as we'll see in the next verse, take a look at verse 21. Now, you've got to watch out. Anytime you see this MLV, that's Mark's literal version, so be careful. And so you want to, like, you do, you'd be a Berean, Acts chapter 17. You always check my work on this. But here's what I did is I, I brought this out of the Greek text and the first thing I got really annoyed by is the NIV, whom I love and I grew up with, and they're great. But they translated the word kara, which is the Greek word for joy. And it like, when does it mean happiness? Never. It always means joy. So I don't know what they were thinking there. But, but kara, it means joy. And so this last word in the thing is joy. And we've made a big deal about that last week. But look at this. He says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Over a few things you were faithful. Over many things I will appoint you. Enter into your master's joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And when he says to enter into your master's joy, he is saying that this is not about the number of things that you did with your talents. It's not about the percentages or the spreadsheets. Or, you know, we always used to like to say, because if I were to ask you, how righteous are you? I mean, come on. Let's be honest, right? Because I, I, I put my righteousness on a Sunday morning right now. I'm in, a, I'm in the upper 27, 28 percentile right now. I'm feeling 28 percent righteous right now. And, and we always talk about this because it's so important to bring it back up because if our righteousness and, and, and everything about that is dependent upon 
us, then I'm in trouble. Maybe you guys are better than me. Maybe somebody here is in the 50 percentile. That would be impressive. But, but, you know, how does this work? But through Christ and in Christ, He declares me righteous. He declares you righteous, which is 100% all the time. All the time. And look at what He says here. This is not quantitative. Because his master replied, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant. Over a few things you were faithful. Over many things I will point you. He, this guy had five, right? Now look, what's really interesting, I'm gonna, we're going to switch over to verse 23. And if you're looking really close, you'll notice it's exactly the same words. No change. So for the guy who had five and the guy who had two, the response is the same. It's not quantitative. And it, but it's also not comparative. Now, these are big fancy words. What do they mean? It doesn't matter the percentages or the numbers or whatever, or it, doesn't, it also doesn't matter like, okay, she has like a whole bunch more successes than I do. Or maybe these people are better at it than I am. This is not what we do. He just simply looks at one, each according to his ability, and says, well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. And he looks at you and me, and he says, well done. But we are called to participate. And it's really interesting because then what are we called to do? We're called to enter into our master's joy. Take a look at verse 24. Because how does this work? Well, the question, notice what the, what, did the, what did the wicked servant do? He says, then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I, know, I knew rather that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. What's this guy doing? He's looking, at, he's looking at him and he's saying something like this. This might sound familiar to you. If there is a God, then why did he let this happen? If there is truly a real God, then why wouldn't he do it this way? If there really was a true God, then that would never have played out the way it did. And this is, this is what you and I struggle with. We hear it in our culture. We hear it from our loved ones. We sometimes think it ourselves. And if you're like me, sometimes it's like it, it involves me going out into my backyard and I look up and I'm like, what were you thinking? And of course, he reminds me, I'm God and you're not. And you don't know everything. Now that, I got to tell you, the first time I sort of discovered that through God's word and through the, the guidance of, of mentors in my life and, and the Lord himself, the first time I sort of encountered that, I didn't want to hear that. What do you mean I don't know everything? Of course I do. Now, you might be sitting there going, well, no, Mark, no, nobody knows everything. Yes, you do. Think about yourself. You know everything. You know what's right and you know what's wrong. You do. Because you're always telling other people how to do it better, right? Because you know. If they would, in the government, if they would just, oh, if they would just do this, it would fix it. In, in, at work, I'm sure you have a boss, or you did. Maybe you became the boss and found out, uh-oh, this is harder than I thought. And, and you, you, you're like, if they would just do it this way, it would solve those problems. And then maybe you became the boss and then you found out, well, it created new problems because the world is messed up. See, and this is what's going on here. It's when we put our hearts in the position of, of saying, I will handle this world on my terms and I know God's not interested in what I'm interested in, therefore I don't want to deal with him. I'm going to take everything he's given to me and I'm going to chuck it. Buried in the ground, whatever, whatever you want to do with the analogy. I'm going to just... See, this is our struggle. 
A lot of people turn this into all kinds of different things, but it's very simple. What are we doing in our hearts? Do we trust God and do we take the world on God's terms? Or do we put him on our terms? This is what faith is. Faith is it's the evidence of things unseen, which is, a, you're like, oh, that's deep, but I don't know what it means. So you can just translate it and say it means seeing the world on God's terms. And when something happens, saying, I don't understand why he would do that. I don't. Someone called me up one time and they said, and, and this person said to me, is God evil? And I'm like, no. But why did he do this? Because that's evil. Well, <laughs> everything you said first, God's not evil. But the second part where you blamed him for that, wait a minute, we, we, do we know that he did that? How do we know? What is the part of this where we make that jump, where we make the conclusion that I know the answer? God is a hard man, we come to that conclusion. He's a hard God, he's, he's, he's evil. No. No, but he is a God of justice and a God of love. He is justice and he is love and he brings those to bear in the world. And when we don't know how to translate or translate not the word, when we don't know how to understand something that doesn't make any sense, I want you to go and think about this tradition that oftentimes many families will do. They will take one of these and they will hang it in their Christmas tree. An interesting tradition. So we have a baby born in Bethlehem for one purpose. To have something like this, which is about the size that they would have driven into him. Something like this driven into that baby. You know, that's why the whole Talladega Nights thing doesn't work. You know, we, we just like baby Jesus. You know, we don't like grown-up Jesus. No, grown-up Jesus is who we need. Is who we need. Because when I don't understand how the justice and the love of God works, then I go to the cross. And I look at the cross and I see God's love on display. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, even the people you don't like, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then verse 17, which just got put online the other day, and that is, Jesus, excuse me, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save it. He sent his son into the world to save it. Take a look at this last word here on verse 25. Because this is the challenge that we face. He said, so I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. And this is what we do. This is the, this is the, the pull of sin, the pull of brokenness that lives inside of us. It's just, as, I'm afraid and so I hid don't be afraid of God. Please don't. He loves you. He gave everything in the, in, his, in the entire universe for you. And he gave everything beyond the entire universe because Jesus is God. He, God gave himself for you and for me. We never have to fear him in that sense, in this sense. Our fear will be an admiration, a, 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 an admiration, I should say, a respect, a complete awe-filling kind of thing. But it will never be that Jonathan Edwards sinners in the hands of an angry God where he dangles the spider over the flames just waiting for a reason to drop him in. Some people believe that that's what God is. That's what it looks like. So I went and hid. Mm -mm. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. This is a companion text similar to what we read in Romans chapter 5, but it's so clear. And in your Dig Deepers this week, I've encouraged you to go and read the whole chapter of 2 Corinthians 5 because it's really good stuff. Because you know, Did you know reading the Bible, there's a direct correlation between reading the Bible and growing in faith? I didn't know if you guys knew that. It's really cool. But anyway, 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What are the talents? The ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Once again, that which is broken is brought back together. It is mended. It is healed. So when you're with Christmas celebrations this week and, and, and you're hanging out with friends and relatives, my, our, Christmas parties actually, or our Christmas gatherings for our family actually start this very day. So we're ready to go. I am not going to eat anything until we get together, and then that'll be the only meal of the day for me. And so, because I'm you know, doing my weight loss thing, and it's, it's really hard in, in, in the holidays. But my mentor, Pastor Dar, reminded me, it's not what you do between Thanksgiving and New Year's. It's what you do between New Year's and Thanksgiving. So I'm holding to that. But when you get together with friends and family, some of you guys are already with them, and you're thinking to yourself, this can get hard. This can get messy. This can get dicey please remember the ministry of reconciliation. It's God's love. You you don't have to be a churchy person to do this. In fact, I would argue that being a churchy person probably gets in the way of this. It works like this. When you're hurt and you want to weep or gnash your teeth, you say, Lord Jesus, please help me love them the way you do. Please help me care for them the way you do. Please help me take what you've given to me and to share it. Please pray with me. Father, we ask you to help us share the gift that you've given to us, which is forgiveness, which is peace, which is hope, which is joy, which is love. It goes beyond our ability to understand or to comprehend, but it is the gift that you have given to us And you've simply said, go share it. Go share it. We we don't want to do it that way. We want you to do it all and we'll just eat popcorn or help you out or whatever. But you've invited us to do it. Protect us and provide for us as we seek to grow in this. And give us the power of the Holy Spirit because on our own we cannot do it. Help us look at those who are weeping and to bring encouragement to them. And those who are gnashing their teeth to bring forgiveness to them. And for all people in our lives, whether, wherever they're at on that spectrum, to bring love to them. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.